The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo with big data and real-time and predictive analytics from the consumer to the enterprise. Learn how to help your organization move in exciting new directions. Here's your host, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz, something that is on everybody's mind all over the world, healthcare. Let me tell you a little bit about it. The impact of technology innovation on healthcare has put us light years ahead of what was available just a few years ago. We all know that. However... That's the good news. Here's the not-so-good news. The advances we're seeing are more device-centric than patient-centric. We know everybody's device-happy today. And it's more about one-size-fits-all than personalizing it to the needs of the patient and healthcare professionals. What are we going to do about it? Are there tech startups out there that can help move us in the right direction? I have a panel of three experts who are going to share their passion for this topic, their expertise, their knowledge, their insights. You're in for a treat on this show. I don't care what kind kind of company you're in, or even if you're just a consumer of healthcare, and aren't we all, you're going to learn a lot from my panel. So I'd like to introduce first up James R. Griffin. He told me I could call him Jim. He's the president and co-founder of Datric, D-A-T-R-I-C, Inc. I'm going to read a quote Jim sent me, and then we're going to hear from him. He says, the M, that's small M, health market is a $20 billion a year market that has failed to impact healthcare costs and failed to live up to expectations. Now get this, everyone. You want to write this down. Of the Apple App Store's 43,700 health-related apps, that's right, I said over 43,000, only 159 capture user-entered health data and fewer than 50 are related to medical condition management. I don't want to go on until I hear from Jim. Jim Griffin, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for joining me. Jim, these are pretty interesting statistics. $20 billion sounds like a heck of a lot of money to me. How fast is it growing? And talk to me about the apps. What does your research show? Well, it's, it's, it's growing at uh, 15 to 20%, 25% a year. Um, it's not quite uh, maybe where they thought it was, but it's expected to hit $27 billion within uh, uh, three to four years. So that's a lot of money being spent every year on it. Uh, there's actually about double that number of applications when you include uh, Android apps. But the, the problem is they're mostly consumer-driven. They're not, uh, at this point, really designed for... Uh, trying to trying to make personalized healthcare decisions for an individual patient, and and so that's where we're we're struggling to see the value uh, return to the healthcare marketplace, uh, like it was expected to do. 
Jim, do you think this is because, as I said in my opening, we're all device happy. We want the latest toy and the latest this. And, hey, here's my iPhone. Hey, here's my Android. Latest sure. and greatest. Here's my tablet. And, boy, now I can take my own pulse. Wow, I can get my EKG over to my doctor. But you're saying that it's really not focused on what we really need. How do we define what we really need if we're getting away from just device happy? Where do we want to go, Jim? Well, and, and so we work primarily with healthcare providers to, to try to address that. I'm, I'm not sure, at least for what we look at, that an individual, an individual that's, that's smart can certainly help improve their life. And, and mm-hmm. when you're talking about health, you're talking about uh, changes, lifestyle changes. And anything that helps lifestyle changes and makes people healthier is obviously a good thing. But for the patients we're looking at and the ones that are most critical in terms of uh, impact on, on monetary value and the, and the cost of health care are the ones that are chronically ill. And mm-hmm. those are probably the ones that are least technical savvy and, and then least able to take care of themselves. Okay, so and I want to throw... You've got to have go an integration of data across people mm-hmm. that are trying to help. Very, very important. I want to want to throw a little bit of a monkey wrench in this before I bring Chris Carter on. Jim, I did a little look up before the show, and I came across a website of PR Newswire, and I want you to sit down because they say the M Health market is expected to reach. You ready for this, Jim? Fifty-eight point eight billion globally by twenty twenty. Yeah, and the numbers I quoted were U.S. only. <laughs> Unbelievable. Un- that is, you said it was a lot of money. It's more than a lot of money. So, yes, I have so much more to talk to you about. And is your company pronounced Datric or Datric? How do you no, want me Daytrick. to say it? Datric. Thank you. Jim, you've got a lot more to, yes, my pleasure, a lot more to share with us. Thank you so much for being the opener. And just sit tight here. I'm going to bring on a repeat guest from Startup Focus. Always happy to have him back. He's always got something good to add. Chris Carter, the CEO of Aproyo. And Chris sent me the following quote, big data in the medical world can make us all healthier and make it easier to analyze issues and also provide cost savings. That sounds like a triple threat win, win, win. Chris Carter, how are you today? Welcome back. I'm well, Bonnie. Good to be back. Thank you. Talk to me. Big data. It's rearing its head. Here we are in the medical world. So what do, what do you mean by this, Chris? You're right. And, and Jim hit it right on the head because you're looking at a couple of data segments, individuals versus providers versus mm-hmm. insurance companies, and each one is looking for something different, yet there's such a connectivity between all of those. Unfortunately, in today's healthcare world, there's so much data out there, but it's not connected. And there's all these concerns about data privacy and how an individual's data is getting from one doctor to another doctor to another, but they're not talking to each other. And once they start talking to each other, you see the model where now all of a sudden you can take a patient and you can deal with risk assessments and how possibly they can start to benefit their lives by having better choices, and everyone is now educated because of that data. That's a real powerful move in the healthcare industry, and that's what big data is going to allow it to do. So, Chris, without jumping ahead to the end of the show, how long is it going to take to achieve this, if uh, at a quick prediction estimate from you? What do you think? Are we there yet? Are we close? Are we talking five years, ten years out? We're nowhere, nowhere near that. I, I talk okay. to customers. I talk to individual providers. I talk to health insurance companies. They're all trying to move it forward, but yet there's so many impediments to doing so. 
Um, and it's literally, I, I tell them that they're a slow-moving dinosaur that, that needs to really start getting an engine on the back of their, themselves and start moving it forward a lot faster. Very interesting. Thank you, Chris. Great perspective. And let's round out our panel with Mark Narona, also a repeat guest. Mark is the America's lead for startup engagement at SAP Startup Focus Program, the sponsor of this show. And Mark sent me the following quote. He said, healthcare presents a big impact opportunity for big data. Sounds like a perfect segue from what Chris Carter just said. Welcome back, Mark. How are you? And tell us a little bit about this big impact. You, you are so impressed by big impact, you put it all in capital letters when you send it to me. So talk to me about the big impact opportunity, Mark. Hi, Bonnie. Thanks. and glad to be here. Um, Good. You know, big impact can, there's a half a dozen, dozen ways in which one could actually uh, expand that out. Um, I'll take the, the one that ever since, uh, when was it, last year when we started talking about the percentage of the U.S. GDP um, that is associated with our healthcare costs. I mean, and how out of line that was for a you know the premier of all developed nations. Um, just purely in monetary terms, the number is in hundreds of billions. Um, and the interesting part about healthcare per se is, in order for us to have that impact, whether it's on savings, on better outcomes. Um, it does seem to be that there is this common consciousness that data is critically, critically important and there's huge amounts of data. It's not just big data. It's a huge data opportunity and a huge data problem to solve. Um, so that's where I was going with that quote. Okay. Thank you very much. And you know what? We have finished with our opening quotes, but I want to circle back and ask Jim Griffin at Daytrick a little bit about what does Daytrick do, and just can you give us a little overview of how you think your company is making and is going to make an impact on the healthcare industry? Go ahead, Jim. Well, thank you. Uh, we're mm-hmm. uh, primarily an SAP consulting company, but we've got to. Uh, uh, we have a, a good understanding of. We've worked across multiple industries uh, with large data uh, problems. So we've done a lot of work in retail and supply chain and things of that sort. We were approached uh, to to look at some problems in healthcare and and medical analytics and. Uh, like like some of the other uh, presenters here, I was a little bit shocked as how far behind medical was in how they used analytics, and so we we set out uh, to to try to put some of those skills that we had learned uh, in other industries uh, and and do it in healthcare, and so that's uh, our target is uh, chronically ill people that uh, uh, can benefit the most. Thank you, Jim. You know, as I, I think I said in my opening, I'm trying to remember back that far. What was it, all 12 minutes ago? Uh, everybody listening is a consumer of healthcare, right, Jim? It doesn't mean, oh, I'm a manufacturer, I want to listen to the show, or gee, I'm in the uh, utilities industry or the utilities vertical. This impacts everybody. So very interesting that this is for the chronically ill. Are we talking about on the age spectrum? Are we talking about the senior and advanced age level of chronic or at any age, Jim? Well, well Bonnie, these days it can, it can be a whole lot of things. Typically we, talk, we think about the elderly, but certainly mm-hmm. with the veterans uh, that we have coming back uh, yes. and, and the lack of facilities uh, sometimes in close yes. proximity 
it's it's making it. Uh, we're trying to make it a lot wider availability of good quality medical health. Uh, what most people don't realize is even a normal healthy person has an average expense of around nine thousand a year. What? Then, wait, wait, hold, hold on, hold on. Say that again. The average medical cost in the U.S. is like nine. It's a little shade under nine thousand dollars a year per person. And, wow. and when you when you look at chronically ill, uh, those prices go up tremendously. And uh, something like eighty percent of your total lifetime expenditures in healthcare will be in the last two years of your life. Mm. Mm, so, very impactful. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's we're talking about huge impacts of of, of uh, and at some point you have to relate it back. That's the reason I feel so strongly that the consumer driven aspects, while they're good for uh, maybe some uh, risk modification of, of young people, mm-hmm. uh, at the very end, all of this has to be financially justified. So you have to Always. you have to do. Uh, provide more care through fewer doctors, through better resourcing at the hospitals. You've got to change the consequences, change the output. And, and that's what makes it so uh, finally tying the, the cost-benefit ratio back from uh, is just a device or just a measurement tool sure. back to looking at the analytics across holistic perceptions and, 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 and perspectives of the customer uh, the patient member, whatever you want to call them, they, sure. they, you have to be able to tie that with their lifestyle, what they're willing to do, what they're not willing to do, their trend analysis, and and as well as medical measurements and and doctor intervention. Thank you, Jim. And I'm going to ask you one more question before I ask Chris to tell us a little, a little bit about Aproyo's impact on and intentions in the healthcare field. A Jim question. When I opened up and read your quote at the beginning of the show, I mentioned specifically that M Health is spelled with a small M, a lowercase, and capital H Health. Can you tell us, just level set for us, what is M Health in case somebody doesn't know? Because I had well, to ask it's, it's, and it, I didn't it, know. It, we can differentiate it a little bit differently than telemedicine, which is generally considered concerned uh, video conferencing with doctors or caregivers. Mm-hmm. M-Health are mobile-enabled devices. So typically you have a, uh, a pulse meter, pulse oximeter, uh, ECG, uh, glucose meter, things of that sort that can uh, communicate w- via Bluetooth to either mm-hmm. a hub or a smartphone or uh, some medium of transmission and then pass that data back to uh, an aggregation point. At that point, it, it, the real value starts coming out of it of what do you do with the data? So mm-hmm. how do you use it? Are you using it to proactively uh, intervene, for example, before a problem gets severe? Uh, are you using it just for monitoring? Uh, at every level, there are good benefits, but the highest benefits are when you look at it holistically and combine that with other information. Thank you. Great level set. Appreciate that, Jim. Chris Carter, I didn't forget about you. Aproyo, bring us up to date in case somebody has not heard you on the show before. What is Aproyo and what is your involvement in healthcare, Chris? So Aproyo is still one of the leading SAP partner companies within the SAP Big Data HANA uh, realm. We're one of the Startup Focus Program members. We've uh, grown quite a bit in the last six months uh, and have expanded uh, our cloud solutions for SAP HANA have just 
taken off and revolutionized industries such as this healthcare market. And what we're doing in that healthcare market is, is, is actually some of the things that Jim talked about were some of the, the desperate needs in the healthcare. When we were looking at this market um, several years ago, we, we also saw massive amounts of data. Um, we're very fortunate. We have uh, a company that is one of the largest manufacturer of healthcare equipment in the world called GE Healthcare here in Wisconsin. And mm-hmm. they literally are the largest data source or one of the largest data sources that their machinery produces data on uh, individuals, on usage, uh, a lot of different statistical components. And that all can be utilized when you're looking at how a hospital can save 15% on their energy costs to be able Mm -hmm. to make themselves more profitable instead of being a larger conglomerate or an independent hospital. Each one can save those and in turn put that funds back to the patient's uh, savings. When you can look at how that can work with the insurance companies on how you can take um, the medical health risk assessments and work with some of those mobile health meters that are out there in the market that Jim uh, is using with the M Health Group and to be able to take that information and how you can benefit and put together how an individual or individuals within corporations can get better their health. The better their health is, and Jim made the very good point, holistically looking at that data to better their individual health capabilities of, an, uh, of me as a person and to use that to build them out and help them live longer, that's using big data to the fullest. And then to be able to do more remote patient monitoring, you know, talking with organizations that literally have large mass of uh, land that they have to cover for health, uh, clinics and hospitals. Maybe it's a one-person clinic where it's a RN or a general practitioner, and to take that data from those individuals and bring it back to a major hospital rather than trying to send individuals always to the hospital or to the ER, they're now able to make decisions based upon capabilities. Um, there's a really good use case, and I'll save that for later in the show, but yes. um, of how you can utilize that data to make um, to take answers that from the past to create uh, the future. And it, it really helps organizations because it's all there at their fingertips, and it really gives them a management model for their future. Thank you, Chris. I'm hearing excitement in your voice. I'm hearing passion, as I did from Jim Griffin. And I'm hearing optimism that we are trying to make things better for everyone. Very, very interesting topic. Mark Narona, before we go to break, we're going to run a little long on this break, but we're just having so much good information here, I don't want to cut it yet. So, Mark Narona, you are watching, not from the sidelines, of course, but you're watching startups and young companies look at healthcare. for example, our guests on the Panel today, what are you seeing in terms of this excitement and optimism? Is this a field where the energy is higher because so much is at risk every single day? What do you see, Mark? Well, uh, yes. I mean, first of all, there is a lot of energy. There's there's no two ways about it. Um, there's a there's also this increasing momentum um, where, on the one hand, there is always this comment, um, which is around what Jim was saying, was, was quite shocked as to how far behind healthcare is. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, we're also seeing that it's picking up. There's various different constituents of this healthcare 
um, uh, space that are all beginning to beginning to work together. If 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 they've not figured out the model just perfectly yet, they're making attempts uh, to figure it out, and there is literally a change. Um, there's almost a demand for a change. So we have to get better at this. And we've got to give credit to the government uh, in the U.S. and uh, all over the planet, frankly. We've got to give credits that the governments are stepping in. They're not sitting on the sidelines. They are creating through legislation and other mechanisms, um, uh, playing, taking on the role of a catalyst. Um, there's technology innovation, all sorts of it going on right now, um, you know, and it's not just about devices and sensors, um, you know, all across the technology layer, uh, this innovation is kind of happening at, you know, a very, very welcome time. Um, there's a lot more data available. I mean, if you look mm-hmm. at today, it's, the data has always been around, but it's a lot more available today and the scale at which it's available is dramatically different. Um, and... Putting all together, there's this demand now coming from the average, from everybody involved in the problem per se. The consumer wants more data. The payer wants more data. The provider wants more data. The pharmaceutical companies want more data. Um, And they want to be able to look at a holistic picture of what is emerging, what can be predicted. Uh, How can I, on the one hand, be more healthy? How can I, uh, you know, take the advantage of predictable outcomes? So that's what we're seeing. Um, and it's, it's, it's a fertile ground for innovation in the form of startups. Um, so we have a lot of optimism around this space. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mark, for branding that. I guess what? I'm going to give you all a break, but don't go anywhere because we're going to come back in about a minute and a half. I'm speaking today with Jim Griffin, president and co-founder of Daytrick, Inc. I'm speaking with Chris Carter, CEO of Aprio, and Mark Narona, America's lead for startup engagement at SAP Startup Focus Program. In case you haven't figured it out, I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and you're listening to another live edition of Startup Focus with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. I'm going to tell you and I'm going to tell Mike, our engineer in Phoenix, don't even think of touching that dial, that mouse, that app. We'll be right back. There's a lot more. This is one show you definitely don't want to miss. Mike out. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. In today's globalized world, the competition for customers and marketplace has never been fiercer. Emerging technologies, especially those like big data, can help level the playing field and enable everyone from established enterprises to nimble startups to radically change the status quo. The bottom line, if you embrace technology, you can innovate your way to success. Big data is changing the way we live our lives and do business. Learn how with Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. With new companies like yours competing aggressively for top customers, your strategies and tools must level the playing field and position you well against your larger adversaries. Today, you are faced with global competition for both customers and talent that will drive your business. The bottom line, you need to define what's going to set you apart, and you need to embrace innovation in every facet of your company and your brand. Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. 
it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Startup Focus with Game Changers. Here we are, and welcome back. I promised you it was a short break. Our topic today is startups in healthcare. I originally called this Taking the Pulse. Then I thought maybe I should have named it Checking the Pulse. And now I think I'll call it Doctor Doctor. Is there a doctor in the house? And we'll leave it at that. I'm speaking today with Jim Griffin from Daytrick, with Chris Carter at Aproyo, and Mark Narona at SAP Startup Focus Program. Because let's kick off the roundtable. Though I think we already started it in the first segment. Let's kick off the virtual roundtable proper with. Uh, some information that Jim Griffin at Daytrick sent me before the show. I'm going to ask Jim to talk about this, explain it, tell me more, and then I'm going to ask Chris Carter and Mark Narona on your own, just chime in. So the point you sent me, Jim, was for mHealth, that's mobile healthcare, to provide value, it must be usable by the least technical people in society. Specifically, you have identified the elderly and the infirm. We're talking about finding simplicity for the user with complex capabilities and analytics for the care providers. Why don't you give us some background on this, Jim? Uh, what are these people going to do when you hand them a mobile device? How will they figure it out, especially if they're not feeling well to begin with? So talk to me, Jim Griffin. <laughs> well, generally, they don't figure it out very well at all. That's the problem. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, I've experienced this in my personal life with, with my parents, and and mm-hmm. they, they get confused about uh, handheld telephones and TV remotes, and as everybody ages, uh, dementia is a widespread problem, and it doesn't occur all at one time. It starts gradually, and, mm-hmm. and when that happens, you just can't hand them a smartphone and say, email me if you feel bad, or take your measurements and your pulse readings and transmit it here. Uh, those instructions are not going to be able to be followed, so while and to me, this is kind of a natural evolution of technology. It starts out fairly complex, but if it's growing and working well, it gets more simplistic. And that's what we're trying to address here, is that while the cell phone or smartphone may be a communicator of the data, it, we need to make the systems as passive as possible. And, 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 and so they require the least amount of interaction uh, from the patient. But still a wealth of data goes to people that can handle it, can understand it, mm-hmm. and put it in perspective for that patient. And, and so that's, that's, what I, that's what we're trying to achieve. And it, to, to make it simple for them, a lot of times it has to get fairly complex on the back end. And I think that's one of the reasons we see such a, an interest in large data. Large data in itself is not interesting. It's what you can do mm-hmm. with it. 
Exactly. Very good point. And I want to add something else. You mentioned dementia, Jim, but I think another reality check from my perspective is that what we used to call a computer phobe, people who are afraid of technology, they're afraid of devices. They did not cut their teeth on it. I'm, I'm not going to tell you how old I am. Chris may have figured it out, but um, I'm, I'm certainly in a place where some of my peers who are a little older than me are retired. They're still using a flip phone and can't figure out how to get their messages off voicemail just because they never were involved in technology. It's still a foreign subject to them. It's a foreign language, if you will. These are people who speak multiple languages, by the way. So on top of not being used to it, not being comfortable with it, not trusting it, hearing a lot about you send somebody an email or you you do something on voice, somebody's going to rip you off. We all know that. Scams. And that's, I think, another dimension of what do you want me to do with this thing? Is somebody going to steal my information? So very good points, Jim. I want Chris Carter to chime in on this. What do you think about what Jim just said? Chris? Jim is 100% accurate. When, yep. when we, we're, we're talking to a healthcare organization that literally owns 80% of the state market that they're in, and the biggest concern for them to be able to deal with mobile activity are those older individuals and mm-hmm. the people that really mm-hmm. have never used technology. And a, a good portion of those individuals, um, I, I don't mean this in any racist way whatsoever, are individuals who live uh, as part of tribes in different locations inside um, a state that really they, they have no access to those types of technologies or have never been uh, ingrained in the technology as you and I have. So it's mm-hmm. really difficult for them to even even to use a... Um, I, I love this device, and I'm going to name a name because I like using it, and it's good, um, are the T-Mobile devices for blood pressure and for diabetic aspects and sugar. And to be able to take that Bluetooth it off to the providers, They're, uh, to me, it's simple. But to mm-hmm. individuals who have never used any type of technology device for that old flip phone usage, or my, even my grandmother, they have no clue how to do it. You have to train them over and over again and hope that, the dementia or the other activities where their, um, their, their abilities to be able to bring that back up is really able to use it. And that's sad, but yet it's the state we're in as part of the big data initiative. We have to go to that granular level to make it a success. And that makes it quite challenging on many different levels. Mark Neroni, you want to chime in on this one before we move on? Money simply put, this is a, this is a major design opportunity. Um, ah, yes, you're right. Go ahead. And, uh, you know, at the heart of it, when you think about design and what it really means, um, I would say that the state of healthcare today, the manner in which it is consumed, made available, paid for, insured, um, every single aspect of it um, presents a huge redesign opportunity. Um, We're seeing a lot of products. The ones that are designed well are fitting into our lives. Um, And since many of these products, whether they are taking the form of apps or whether they are taking the form of wearables uh, from a consumer perspective, uh, from an enterprise perspective, again, uh, they're fundamentally software products. Um, there are spaces around uh, ubiquitous computing, pervasive computing, 
contextual computing um, that are beginning to also evolve. All of these products are are relatively, uh, I'm scared about using this phrase, but relatively new. So we're going to see a couple of generations of products come in in this space and pretty quickly. Um, so I think I think both uh, yeah, both the comments you know are, are spot on. Um, it does apply significantly to you know the slightly older uh, members of the population, and uh, it's something that we have to fix and understand really really quick because that percentage uh, of that demographic is going up, and it's going up dramatically. Yes. Uh, over the span of the next 20 years and 50 years, the percentage of people who are going to be above 50 years, it shoots up exponentially on this planet. Um, so, hey, that's the opportunity. That, that's great. That's an interesting, uh, interesting segue from where we were. I want to move on to uh, some interesting points that Chris Carter sent me before the show. But before I do that, Chris, just give me a second. I want to ask Jim Griffin one more thing. He sent me something that sounds like a, well, it's about a puzzle, and I'd like you to all comment briefly. Then we're going to move into the big data aspect. So, Jim Griffin, you said, very interesting, M Health is only one aspect of a four-dimensional puzzle. I love puzzles, so I was intrigued by this. The puzzle, you say, is where people, activities, personalities and medical conditions constantly change over time. Sounds like a moving target to me. So you put people and personality separate as part of these dimensions. Talk to us a little bit about this puzzle model, Jim, and then we can move to something else, please. Okay. So all of us are different. I mean, we yeah. have different lifestyles. We enjoy different things. We have different capabilities uh, and, and abilities. And some days are better than others. So things do change over time. Um, it's, uh, it, but we have to involve not only the M-Health uh, evidence-based uh, uh, treatments that, that are, I, I'm, I'm testing for a condition, I get a reading that's high or low, I know that. But I have to put that into perspective with my lifestyle, my support uh, group, my extended relationships and in terms of uh, people interested in my health, uh, and, and, and understand that it's going to change a little bit over time. And that's part of what we look at as being more proactive uh, about uh, activities and intervention or escalation and alerts and intervention is trying to understand these normal rhythms of life and, and putting things into perspective. But it, it's, a, it's a balancing act that requires you to look at it from multiple dimensions. Interesting. Thank you. Chris or Mark, do you have a, a quick remark on what Jim just said before I move on? Agree? Disagree? Chris? Yeah, I, I, I agree completely agree. Uh, yeah, absolutely agree. Okay, good. I like the four-dimensional puzzle. I love puzzles. Okay, Chris Carter, let's move on to, we've been talking about the patient side for the past few minutes in terms of who will use the devices, the great opportunity for design or redesign, as Mark said. And Jim has brought up some fascinating points about the people aspect of what we're discussing today, which is startups in healthcare making an impact and what I call 
checking the pulse. Uh, so I want to move to the big data side. Chris, you said we can use big data to assist in merging a patient's health care records, here comes the big word, with insurance. Aha, the big insurance rears its head, to come up with free risk assessments of a patient's health assessment, which in turn drive down costs on a global scale. That sounds like a very compelling thing for us to move to. So Chris, tell me, what were you thinking when you sent this to me? I was thinking of something that I had in my other quote that you told me I was not allowed to say. So I'm going to be very nice to you, Bonnie. But no, it really it really leads to the merging of the data from different points. Yes. The, the physician's data is different than the insurance provider's data, which mm-hmm. is supposed to be connected to you by a little thing called your Social Security number, which uh-huh. then in turn gives you the ability to control the data that you are using of your body for different physicians. So if I go to a a neurologist for my daughter, then I go to our general practitioner for my daughter, and then I go to maybe a surgeon for my daughter because she has epilepsy. I want all of that data to be able to reside where I can see or the physicians can see and they can gather. Then I can take the information from the insurance companies or maybe she's going to a specific trainer that is helping her with some of her movements of her bodies after surgery. So they can all talk and communicate in one nice, neat, golden way. And once we get to that point, that's going to alleviate the silos. And once those silos are gone, mm-hmm. or even if they do maintain their silos, we can take that data and we can put it together so we can utilize it or they can utilize it to make better decisions. Because right now, unfortunately, almost every physician keeps their records in one type of a manner and does not necessarily share it with the other physicians. And then you get misdiagnoses or you get multiple areas of feedback that just contradict each other. And then insurance Mm -hmm. companies are trying to battle each other. So to really combine that together gives us an advantage for the future. And that's going to really be a big, big point in the future. And I believe that the current United States government, if you were able to do that, that would really lead to a lot of cost savings for individuals that we hope that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and interesting talking about not sharing data in silos, Chris. I'm thinking of sometimes the only way you can find out if everything is working well together is when you go to the pharmacy and order a medication <laughs> and you ask the pharmacist who barely knows you unless you're a regular and you say, hey, is this going to interact with this? Am I going to have a contraindication here? Am I, am I going to be susceptible to some symptoms or are there some, some risk associated with this drug? And the pharmacist may be the only one who knows what's really going on from all of your healthcare providers. So there is, <laughs> In an odd way, you go for your meds, and that's when you find out what's really happening or what could be really happening. But I want to get back to this point you made, Chris, about free risk assessments of a patient's yeah. health, because yeah. we all know uh, you get wellness checkups now, and that may or may not be included in your health care coverage, depending on yeah. how high up the food chain you're paying premiums, whether you go through your, your employer or whether you do it independently. So you mean to tell me that you actually think we could get a free risk assessment? Really, Chris Carter? Wouldn't it be amazing if you could actually take the data that you have and hospitals, general practitioners, and insurance companies. Now, I have an insurance plan where I'm very fortunate that they actually want you, they will give you back money if you exercise or have a health club membership and you actually utilize it and they want data that you're going to it or your 
doing certain things with your physical activities, and to be able to then have an assessment that says, okay, Chris Carter, you are 20 pounds overweight. If you bring your weight limit down to this, we will mm-hmm. provide you with this type of a discount. We have assessed that you have a little bit, you're close to high blood pressure. You might have a little bit of this, and they can gather all that together. And if you just give an individual that information, say, if you do these things, we mm-hmm. will then in turn provide you with X. And that's all from gathering all the data necessary from your personal body of what could happen to you. And those assessments will really help insurance companies because they then don't have to pay out for all of the bills that are going to have to go forth as you attend multiple doctors in order to make sure that you're healthy. And it goes back to what Jim was saying. You have these individuals who are unfortunately very, very ill. And if you can start that out earlier and get them down a path of healthy lifestyle, and go through these risk assessments of where they're going and how they're leading down the path of, let's just call it, having a bad health, mm-hmm. it's going to save billions, if not billions, trillions of dollars in the United States on keeping people healthy. Look at the obesity rates in the United States right now. If we could have an assessment for children at this point in time, and some people will say it's unfair to call a child fat, okay? I'll mm-hmm. say it myself, I'm a fat old man. I'm probably 30 pounds overweight. If there were some incentives for me, not saying that I shouldn't do this anyways, but if I was given a $150 deduction on my health insurance every month, oh, you bet I would try everything I could to get my weight down another 20 pounds. Um, so those are types of the things. Get those assessments together, get that data together, and utilize it to help patients who then will help themselves. Thank you, Chris. I'm going to ask Jim and Mark if you have any comments on what Chris just said because I want to bring in some talking points that Mark sent me that will round out this discussion, IMHO. So, Jim, any comments on what we're talking about with Chris Carter? I, I almost don't know where to start. Uh, the, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> then start right here. I would argue politely, Chris, that, that nothing's for free <laughs> and that uh, we can get free credit reports, but they come with a lot of... Uh, uh, baggage of people picking up other personal information that uh, we really don't want to share. Uh, you can get uh, uh, you know good bit of stuff off Amazon for free as long as you sign up for all their commercials. So it's it's not so much that things are free, but this is the quandary that that causes yes. the problems and the slow acceptance and the reason that we haven't had uh, better increase is because uh, you have we're we're a uh, uh, we're a capitalistic society. So people have, they want their information so that they can reduce their cost of business or extend uh, their reach. Uh, it, it's only until you attack the, the cost parameters are people interested in doing anything. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very hard for me to understand why... Uh, why we should, uh, and, and um, obviously we're doing this, and we want to combine all the data together. That's the most effective thing to do. Mm-hmm. But at the same uh, time, that's the quandary. That's the most dangerous point. Uh, even after we paid for, with uh, you know, tax dollars to fund uh, genomic uh, research and everything, we had uh, companies that were trying to patent 
uh, gene structures out of individuals for their own mm-hmm. profit-making abilities. So it's a, it's a real ethical and, and slippery slope in how we balance that. Uh, there's no question that the more data we can put together, the better it gets. But it's also that's where a lot of the challenges lie. And, and I'm, I'm going to interject. Like to go, yeah, go ahead, Chris. Please. So, so Jim, and I, I realize that, and I also realize the the patient confidentiality aspects are out there. Yet me as a patient, I am more than willing to sign to up to allow more data to be given to give it organizations or philanthropists who are in the area of battling diseases. I want them to be able to take my data and to utilize it for the great. Look at the state of Washington right now. They're having an issue where four times the number of children were born with a birth defect where half of their skull was not formed properly. Mm. And because these individuals were not communicated to, it's still continuing to grow. And yet the data specifically shows that if they would just communicate and talk to them about certain aspects, what's your diet? Just what's your diet? Give me, share me your diet information or share me information about who your physician is, where you live, what county. And they know a three-county area. They had the same problem in the state of Nebraska, and they actually communicated with the individuals who were going through this issue, and they literally found out it was because there were corn that had a disease to it that was part of a one-county area that was literally nothing more than 150 acres that was not necessarily poison, but it had a, a bacteria that was a part of it. Communication is key to getting this information, and yes, you might have to share a little bit of information, but that information is going to help yourself and the greater good. I, I, I wouldn't argue about sharing the information. It's just that it has to be balanced with the restrictions on how that information gets used. Exactly. So I, I absolutely agree. And I'm going to chime in here because, Jim, you dipped the toe in the water and Chris followed you into that pool of where I exactly, exactly wanted to go with something Mark Nerona, who's waiting patiently to talk, told me before the show. And listen to this, guys, because this is what we're talking about. Mark said, the mindset shift around privacy is already underway. And he adds, it's not about protect only anymore. It's now about protect and share. I think this is exactly what Jim is saying, exactly what Chris is saying. We're talking about the balancing act of what is my privacy? What are my rights? What are my protections? But I want to share it. I want to do the good of mankind and womankind and children and elderly kind and all that wonderful stuff. But I still want my private stuff to be my private stuff. But I want you to protect it. But I want you to guarantee me. But I want to give it to the researchers. Duh, that's a lot. Mark Nerona, you got to chime in on this because this is your point. And I have a newsflash for the three panelists. We are not taking a break before the end. We're 11 minutes to the end of the show. This is too good a conversation. I'm not going to interrupt you. So let's just keep on going. Mark Nerona, you're up. Talk to me. Actually, Bonnie, I'd love to say that I have nothing more to add. But I don't, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I don't think you let me off the hook. But I will not. <laughs> <laughs> He's charming. Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> um, and you know, just just the the conversation between Jim and Chris, right? It was it's it's just validating this one point that, and I'm going to. I mean, credit where it's due. I I came across this phase a while ago. I don't know. I don't know exactly where, but it was a report. I suspect 
as with many good reports, McKinsey was involved in this somewhere. But I noticed this comment there about this, uh, and it's, uh, it's not identical, but I can't really remember now. But it was about just this, and I looked around at that point, which was maybe about a year or so ago, and started noticing that people are approaching the privacy issue because they want to share data. Mm-hmm. And everybody is acknowledging that this privacy issue is, is important, but it's also creating a challenge. Um, we do want the ability to predict. Um, we do want better outcomes. We do want operational efficiencies. We do want to be able to track our consumer behaviors, our sentiments, our vital signs, be able to monitor um, and across all age groups. We want all of this. And all of this means that there is a significant amount of data that needs to be correlated, that needs to be made available in data sets, that needs to have algorithms running on it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we are not being able to do that because we have not been able to figure out how do we address this issue of privacy. It is critically important. And when we see the partnerships of the future that are obviously going to evolve and are already have evolved in the healthcare space, um, the relationship between employer and employee, the relationship between provider and payer, the relationship between payer and pharmaceutical company, um, and obviously the relationship between consumer and provider um, and payer. Um, it's all about being able to transparently share that data um, mm-hmm. without losing privacy. I, I don't believe we've answered the question just yet, um, but because we're struggling so hard with it, uh, you know, at a personal level, I believe I, I share a sense of optimism saying, hey, um, this is a problem that is it's a big problem. It will get solved in pieces, um, and it will require us to establish some standards, uh, you know, which will establish that balance. Um, and I see that happening all the time. Um, it's, it's, you know, the ones that uh, we're all aware of, HIPAA. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. You know, they've begun. It's a move in standards. There's more to come. Um, and, uh, you know, that at this point, that, you know, that's, that's how I'd like to, uh, you know, expand out that comment that uh, it's very clear that there is a shift now. It's no longer about protect. Okay? It is about the fact that figure out what protections need to go into place which allow us to share this data. Thank, thank you, Mark. I wa- yes, go ahead, Chris. I have something Mark, to say, but you go first. So Mark hits something right on the head there in regards to HIPAA and other things. We're very willing to share Facebook pages. Twitter pages, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. all of our other things. But then all of a sudden, somebody makes this one comment about, well, why don't you share your data on your healthcare? And then somebody at a, at a client that we just started with made a comment about the NSA and all this. And the funny thing is, is I can find out more information courtesy of big data about an individual than on Facebook, Twitter, Guala, Google+, all these different sites, I can find out information about uh, that Bonnie is only 27 years old than any <laughs> other way possible. The big data from a healthcare piece, because of 
the records and where it is. Sure, I can find out information that if it's public knowledge, but if you're willing to share certain components, nobody cares about certain components. Well, I guess not nobody, but certain people do. But I can find out more about individuals from those areas than I can find out mm-hmm. about any other areas um, So than what the NSA is doing. And it's amazing of what you can do with that. So I, th- I think he's right about the HIPAA and being able to start to open up the dialogue and the conversation more so to give freedom of those capabilities. Thank you, Chris. I have one comment, and then you know what? We are six minutes away from the end of the show. We didn't even take our second break. You are joining me on a marathon conversation, and I appreciate it. My comment is on the protect and share and privacy, and this relates to something Jim Griffin at Daytrix said a while ago. He talked about the the need for apps and the need for devices that will benefit the elderly and the infirm, talking about dementia. Well, guess what? The elderly who are not device savvy or are not tech savvy have adult children. Those adult children are in charge very often and more and more as we live older, we are finding that adult children are being in charge of their elderly parents' health care. And that brings it up, I believe, some familial issues, some family issues of what do they have a right to talk about with the doctor, with the parents sitting right next to them and the doctor. I've covered this with my mom, who is, by the way, now 97, owns two homes, drives, does all her own grocery shopping, has two computers, and is on email every day and Skype every night. Excuse me. And she gets it. However, she's to rarity. So we have to deal with, with whom are you sharing? It may not just be a researcher or a hospital or a provider, it could be your own family. I think we have a part two here in our future, guys. I think I'm going to recommend that we get you all back. But you know what? We have a minute each. We're going to go into the final round of the show. Jim Griffin, you're up first, and I'm going to ask you, predict in the next one minute for me, five years from today, if you and Chris and I and Mark all got together and had the same topic, startups in healthcare, checking the pulse, what will have been achieved five years from today? Put your best prediction on the line. Jim Griffin, go. Well, I, th- I think we're going to see a, m- a much improved uh, a space than where we are now. Uh, I-, I would think we're going to be much more interconnected. Data is going to be much more available, and hopefully it will be simpler than uh, what we have to do today. Uh, that said, I'm, I'm not sure that the dark side of it's not going to be uh, somewhat worse than it is now. So it's going to it's going to take some challenging effort by everyone to uh, get the best outcomes. But it's not going to be static. It's going to change, and it's going to have to change. Uh, in five years, we can't afford to be doing what we're doing today. We have to change. Mm-hmm. Good, good points. Thank you, Jim Griffin. Chris Carter, Aprea, one minute on the clock, and I mean one minute. Talk to me. Predictions. Go. Uh, Jim is 100% correct. This is going to be a very moving target. It is going to be so fluid. It is going to be amazing. Uh, you're going to have to have a lot of different people agree to do, I, to do work together in order to uh, make the healthcare industry and to utilize big data to provide that healthcare industry with the best that we need for the individual patients and to really make things move forward properly. And, and it's really going to be um, uh, such a moving line, a moving target. It's going to be incredible these next five years. And exciting, too. And we need people yeah. like all of you who are passionate about it. Mark Narona, you're up. One minute. I mean one minute, Mark. What's your predictions? 2019, what would you be talking about on this topic if we meet again? Talk to me. In the, uh, in the developed geographies, we will be spending a lot of time talking about how wearables have just made mm. such a difference 
to the manner in which healthcare is provided and consumed. Um, in the specifically in Europe, uh, we will be talking about how assisted living, new standards and new technology is being used um, and has been effectively used uh, for the aging community uh, because Europe's just so far ahead that I believe that they're, they're going to do some special things. And in the developing geos, we're going to be talking about how technology is actually saving lives, not just of the really abjectly poor, but also in the urban cities uh, where technology is just going to proliferate in a huge way. And it's all going to be about data. I like that optimism. Thank you, Mark Narona. Guess what? It's time for Bonnie's predictions. I wrote them down, so they're easy. Startup Focus with Game Changers next Thursday. We're going to be shifting our sights on the high-tech vertical startups in high-tech. Next Tuesday, Biz Buzz with Game Changers. Almost done with that 13-week series. We're going to be talking about innovation versus operations. Where are your CEO's priorities? Or, subtitle, CEO versus CIO. Who wins? Coffee Break with Game Changers next Wednesday. I'm going to be talking with a panel about project team success tips that cuts across all of our series great topic and next thursday i have important news we're debuting a brand new series yes we are chris carter i don't can't even get enough of this we're calling it the future of business with game changers next thursday 7 a.m pacific get up early and the topic on our debut show march 6th will be the future of the customer experience which we all want to know about thank you thank you thank you jim griffin daytrick pleasure to meet you hope you'll come back Chris Carter, same thing, a proyo. Great to talk to you again. Mark Narona, glad you were able to make it from SAP Startup Focus. Shout out to Tom Flanagan, who has joined us in helping to manage and co-produce this series. Tom, thank you so much at Hot Fusion. Thank you to the SAP Startup Focus team, Michelle A. Al, Mike and the Business Channel team, thanks for getting us on the air. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Jim, Chris, Mark, are you ready? Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition of Startup Focus with Game Changers presented by SAP. Have a great weekend and I'll see you next Tuesday on BizBuzz. Signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Startup Focus with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.